up, but some of my favorite moments are growing up at my, my Nana and Papa's house. How many of you love to go to your grandparents' house growing up? Let me see your hands in the chat. Let's see it. I loved it. Some of my best moments. And I don't know about you, but you probably even have favorite spots when you were over at their home where you like to be. Maybe for some of you it was cooking together. Maybe for some of you it was sitting around the dining room table and just sharing memories and moments together. Maybe it was sitting on the front porch with your cousins I'll tell you, for me, the favorite spot at my Nana and Papa's house was my Nana's bathroom. Just go with it. It was spacious. It was quiet. When all the cousins, all the aunts and uncles, all the parents were over there, it was loud. It was my place that I could just go and be quiet. My Nana had this electric heater in there. I'm cold all the time. I'm the exact opposite of Pastor Dana. I am ready for spring and summer. Bring it on, Jesus. And I would go in there, I would warm up around her electric heater. My Nana would always have in her medicine cabinet a big old thing of multicolored Tums. I remember this, Nan. I would go in there and I would eat those things like M&Ms. I was a weirdo, yo. And my Nana was very bougie because she even had this little like fluffy cover that went on the toilet seat. You sat on that. It was like sitting on the throne of heaven itself. See, I love when I was in my Nana's bathroom. That's the weirdest thing. That ain't going to ever make the sermon notes graphic this week. But I love being in there because when I looked off to the side, she had this little picture, this little plaque with the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm, every time that I would go in there, I would read it word for word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. See, my Nana, she was like a super Christian because she read the King James Version of the Bible, y'all. She had plaques that were written with F at the end of it. That'd be so weird if I came up to you today and I said, I want to welcometh you to church this morning. Hey, I want to thanketh you for being here. If I go home and I say, I'm going to cooketh for my kids today. Let's be honest, I'm going to microwave them some chicken nuggets. That's really what I'm doing. But I love that, but if you continue to read on after the first three verses into verse number four, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In verse four, it all changes. It moves away from, it's no longer green pastures, still waters, paths of righteousness. No, by verse four, it's the valley It's the shadows. It's death. And so many of us, I think we can relate to that verse. That verse in our life, because talking to so many of you over the last few weeks, over the last few months, there have been things that have rattled you, rattled your family. There's been unexpected deaths that have happened. There's been, for some of you, you had an issue with drinking, you thought it was under control, and then through a series of events, you've fallen off the wagon again. It started to rattle your life all over again. See, there's some of you five weeks ago, you stood on this platform, 
you renewed your vows to your spouse and in the sight of God, and then five weeks later, you're barely holding it together. There's some of you that you got free from what you thought was this sexual sin, but now it's become a bungee cord and it started to pull you back into a lifestyle that you thought you had freed yourself. You're in the shadows. You're in the valley. But can I tell you, it changes a little bit between those first three verses and verse number four. The first three, it's all about he. He maketh me. He leadeth me. But by the time you get to verse four, David has changed. It's now not he, but thou. It's you, God. It's one thing to know about God, but it's something entirely different to know God. See, some of you today, you come in and you know a lot about God. You can quote Bible verses, but dare I say, you don't actually know God. See, and when I read this passage, I have to tell you, I didn't fully experience God's love in the great times, but can I tell you through the hard times, is where I truly experienced the incredible, merciful love of God. See, many people believe that David wrote the 23rd Psalm while he was king. It was kind of a throwback to his past profession of a shepherd. And see, David, as the king of Israel, he knew all about the history of the Israelites. He knew about their 430 years of slavery in Egypt. He knew about the 10 plagues that came, the frogs and the flies and the boils, oh my— He knew of the incredible exodus, the freedom that they had out of Egypt. He knew all about the cloud that guided them during the day and the pillar of fire at night. And everything sounds good until you pick up the story of the Israelites in Exodus chapter 14, starting in verse 5. And this is where we're going to camp out today. If you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to Exodus 14. If you're watching online... Pull out your Bibles. If you came today not prepared for it, don't worry. It'll be on the screens. But Exodus 14, verse 5, it says, When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their mind. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away, they asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariot and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, each with its commander. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel, who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Piharath, across from Baal Zephon. See, but when you stop here just a minute, As I was reading that passage, studying for today, I thought as Pharaoh was pursuing the Israelites, it took me back because I think that's so often what Satan does in our own lives. I think we think that when we come into a relationship with Jesus, that Satan is going to let us off easy. That he's just going to let us go, that it's going to be smooth sailing for the rest of your life. But just like we see here with the Israelites, see, Satan doesn't forget us. Just like Pharaoh goes chasing after the Israelites, can I tell you, the devil will pursue you. 
He will continue to try to keep you under his control. He will continue to try to take you out and try to destroy you. He will keep going after you. Let me tell you today, walking with God isn't a safe life, but it is a secure life. When you put your life in his hands, he will be with you every single step of the way. When you jump back in, in verse 10, it says, As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. Today, I want to give you three things for anybody who right now, you're walking through the wilderness of life. You're walking through the valley of life. See, the first thing I want you to write down today is comparison is crippling. Comparison is crippling. See, we do that all the time. We compare ourselves to others. My son Liam, I picked him and his buddy up two weeks ago. And he's like, Dad, you wouldn't believe this house that we were just at. There was a movie theater. They had a drawer full of any kind of candy you ever want. There was a trampoline. There was a swimming pool. He had a motorbike. And I said, boys, hop in our minivan. We're going back home. Well, we got none of that. I hope you enjoyed those four hours because we're back to real life on Winter Street. Come on. But how often do we compare ourselves? The number of followers that we have. How we look compared to other people. And if I'm completely transparent with y'all this morning, I've dealt with this all the way up until last Sunday. See, I shared with you, I still consider Pastor John my pastor. But you know the interesting thing that happens every time he stands on this platform and preaches and we let people know there are people that we haven't seen since the last time he preached that they finally show up. And what the devil tries to do is when I'm listening to him preach and y'all are responding to him, the devil starts to mess with my brain and say, ah, ha, 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 you ain't Pastor John. See, these people that just show up every three months when he preaches, they ain't your people. Can I tell you what happened last week as I saw people start to come in? I hadn't seen them since last December. And they started to come in. Can I tell you the peace that fell over me in worship? Where I turned to Rach and I said to her, I no longer care what people think about me. I no longer have to compare myself to Pastor John. Because you see, my anointing is different than Pastor John's. The way I speak, the way I communicate. I would never in a million years have brought a takeout container with chicken bones. (laughs) I never would have even thought about that, y'all. We're different. We're different. If you're somebody watching today and we won't see you till the next time Pastor John preaches, pull out your phone right now. Take out your calendar. July 4th, he'll be back up here. God bless you. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. July 4th weekend, he's back. I already got locked in. But you see, so many of us, we deal with comparison. Can I tell you? There will always, lean in real quick, there will always be someone better than you. 
there will always be someone funnier than you, someone smarter than you, someone richer than you, someone more beautiful than you. But can I tell you something? There will never be another you. There will never be another you. You are the embodiment of Ephesians 2.10. You are God's masterpiece. Somebody needs to put that in the chat. Somebody needs to write that in your notes today. I am God's masterpiece. See, the Israelites, they were moody. You know anybody that's ever moody? Don't look at me, Rachel Richardson. See, as I was studying for this, and I was reading about the Israelites, I counted 14 different times that they complained. 14 different times that they complained to Moses and Aaron. And we can sit here and we can criticize them, but how often has that been us? How many times have we criticized what God is doing? How many times has God spoken a word to you? He's given you a vision for your life, and then nothing happens. Nothing comes to fruition, and now you're frustrated. You're just like the Israelites. Can I tell you what I've learned? Is there is a difference between a now word and a not yet word. There are words that God has spoken over my life, prophetic words over my life, that I'm still waiting all of these years later. I'm still waiting. But see, can I give you a, a glimpse further on in the Old Testament? If you go to Isaiah, Isaiah 9, 6. Isaiah 9, 6, I'm going to give you a jump that this is going to be the passage, the verse. Listen, I am an obscene planner. Like obscene, like disgusting, that I already know what our Christmas series is going to be all the way on November 28th. It's coming from this verse, Isaiah 9, 6. For a child is born to us, a son is given, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called. Get ready, here's the four-week series coming up. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. See, those people that aren't here till July 4th, they missed it. You got a sneak peek, y'all. But you see, this prophecy, I read that all to you because this prophecy wasn't fulfilled for over 750 years later. See, I tell you all that because some of you have a word. You have a vision for your future, and it hasn't happened yet. It will come through in time. Let me tell somebody today, you're focused on the timing, but God is focused on the priming. What do I mean by that? The priming is to prepare, to make ready for a particular purpose. See, some of you in this room today, God is priming you for what he's going to do in your future. He is getting you ready. Can I tell you, as a church, we believe that we are on the cusp of God doing something incredible through this church. I believe that wholeheartedly. We believe the best is yet to come. So I'm going to tell you right now, our team behind the scenes, our leadership team, we are already working for what that looks like. We believe that outreach is going to be a huge focus, bigger than ever before. And when we launch Riverside Community Cares in May, we believe this community is going to be transformed by the love of Jesus, and it starts with us. We're talking about Friday night ministry going above and beyond anything that we've done before. 
See, we believe more so than ever before that more people are going to find life in Jesus this year than in any of the 20 plus years that have happened in the history of this church. See, why do I tell you all that? We are priming ourselves. We're saying, Lord, we are going to be available. Remember that? That's our word of the year, Riverside. God, we're available for whatever you want us to do. Can I go a step further to really get into your business today? Stop focusing on the waiting and trust that God is working. Trust that God is working behind the scenes. See, we not only compare ourselves to others, but we also compare ourselves to our past. See, you need to know that the Israelites were only a few days removed from Egypt. They were only a few days outside of their exodus. They're leaving Egypt. And the second that something came on, the first sign of trouble, did you catch what they did there? They started to look back and they longed for the good old days of slavery and bondage. If only we could go back. You jump ahead to Exodus 16.3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. See, the Israelites, they went from these hallelujah highs to heck no. In a matter of moments. I see it all the time with new believers. I thought my life was going to be easier. I thought there was not going to be any worries. I gave my heart and life to Jesus. I thought it was going to be great. And when it's not, when the first sign of trouble arises, we start to revert to our BC lifestyle, our before Christ lifestyle. And we focus on short-term memory over long-term destiny. That's for somebody in this room today. You're focusing on your short-term memory over your long-term destiny. You start to go back and say, well, that boyfriend that abused me, he wasn't that bad of a guy. He said he loved me. Or that girlfriend that cheated on you, yeah, it was only a minor indiscretion. Or we go back to say, you know, that friend group that I have, he only says those racist things when he's been drinking. And see, what we do is we start to look back in the rearview mirror of life, and now it starts to pull us back into our old lifestyle. And let me tell you, the lure of your past will sabotage the launch of your future. See, some of you, you need to let go of the past so you can walk into the future that God has for you. You will never fully walk into what God has destined you if you keep looking back in the rearview mirror of life. See, it continues to go on in Exodus 14, verse 13 and 14. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The Lord is fighting for you right now. So some of you need to stop comparing and start declaring. Stop looking around and start looking up. Start declaring who you are in Christ Jesus. See, the Israelites, they kept looking around. 
They looked at their circumstances. It's so easy for so many of us. We start to look at what's around us. But I need to start declaring who you are in Christ Jesus. I am God's masterpiece. I am a child of God. I do believe I will see the goodness of God. Some of you need to start declaring those things over your life instead of looking back where you've come from. I believe that my God is who he says he is. See, start declaring, I will stand still and I will stay calm. Some of you need to tattoo that on your arm so you never forget it. I will stand still and I will stay calm. Why? Because comparison is crippling. And secondly, fear is formative. Fear is formative. See, several years ago, we went to actually go visit uh, Pastor John and Letty's family in the UK. And we were so excited. The five of us, our family was getting on an airplane. We went through customs, which is just like the worst thing in the world. You're taking off your shoes. You're taking off your belt. My pants are falling down. I'm taking out 17 iPads. Like, why? And I remember we're going through sweat just dripping off my face. I'm so nervous. And all of a sudden, I see them pull my daughter out of line with her bag. She was like 11, 12 years old. I'm like, this is the worst nightmare ever. And I was like, what is going on? They're like, is this your bag? And I was like, and she's like, yes, it is, sir. It is my bag. And I was like, she picked up somebody's unattended bag. That's what happened right here. We're those people that they make the loudspeaker about over and over again. <laughs> Don't pick up somebody's unattended bags. All right. They pulled her over. They start going through her stuff. And they pull out homemade slime. Just a big old container as big as your head of slime. Like she couldn't leave Illinois without her slime. I was like, what is going on here? Come on, let's go. We've got to make our flight. We're running there like home alone. The McAllister's trying to get there. Great trip. God spoke to us. It was the catalyst, that trip, that got us to where we are today to walk in ministry. Hallelujah. But as we're walking back, we're coming back from Heathrow back into the U.S. Wouldn't you know, another kid gets pulled at security. I was like, what is going on? Liam. If you know, you know. And Liam gets pulled. And I was like, what did you do? Because if any Richardson kid is going to get pulled in security, it's going to be you. Um, I digress. He gets pulled out. And this is a kid that he went through a stage where he was obsessed with Axe body wash. <laughs> he smelled like a junior high boy before he was even a junior high boy. And he got so excited when we were in a little store shopping in this quaint little village. He's like, Dad, come here. He's like, there's a bottle of Axe that we don't have back home. Can I get that? Making dreams come true left and right. Come on, son, let's go get it. The last day we're there, I'm telling him, we can't have any liquids bigger than my thumb, dude. That's got to stay behind. But he brought it with him through customs. He goes through the X machine. Rear, rear, rear. A bottle as big as the boy was at the time. I'll tell you all of that because there was so much fear that we didn't fly again as a family of five for like four more years. 
fear became formative in our life. But in all seriousness, if you go back in the story of the Israelites and you look back at Exodus 14.10, as Pharaoh approached the people of Israel, it says they looked up and they panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They were in a place which felt like a trap. They had the Egyptian army on one side, and they had the massive Red Sea on the other side, and they felt stuck. They felt trapped. And I believe a room this size with as many of you watching online today, that there has to be people in this room, you just feel stuck. You feel like there's no way out. You feel like you're in the TSA line of life right now. But you see, as I read this, I realized that so many of us, we have our own TSA that we deal with. I want you to write this down. T, we feel trapped. We feel like there's no way out. I'm stuck here. I have no other options. I'm stuck here. I'm trapped for the rest of my life. God, where are you? There's some of us, we feel scared. There's no way up. I'm stuck in this hole. I'm stuck in this trap. And there's no way I can dig myself out of this pit that I'm in. There's no way up. But there's some of us, we're anxious. We're anxious. It feels like life is just this ongoing treadmill of life. And there's no way off. I keep walking, I keep trying to move farther and farther, but when I stop, it keeps pulling me back. I can't find any way off. Let me tell you today, fear will form your life if you allow it to. It will have a profound and lasting impact on every single aspect of your life. It will influence your relationships. It will influence your outlook. It will influence your future. Wherever you're watching from today, I want you to think about your greatest fear. Not mice or snakes or heights or even the TSA. What is your most crippling fear that keeps you up at night? Second part of that question, what do you do when that fear starts to sink in? See, the Israelites, they were far from perfect. They had many, many flaws. But did you catch what they did there? It says in verse 10, they cried out to the Lord. Can I tell you today, when you find yourself in a dangerous position, a dangerous spot with no way out, cry out to God. He's the only one that can help you. So many of us, we keep trying to do it on our own. We keep trying to numb it with drugs, with alcohol, with sex, with relationships. We try to do it with all these self-help books, but our only solution is to cry out to God. Can I tell you a passage that I have to go back to almost every single week? Two years ago, I walked through one of the most difficult seasons of my life, and the Lord led me to this passage in Psalm 46, verse 1 through 3. It says, God is our refuge and strength, 
always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and the mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. Can I tell you today, when God is your refuge, when God is your strength, when God is your help, there is no reason to worry. There's another translation that says he's a very present help in times of trouble. Can I remind you today that God is not a God of the past. He's a God of your present and he is the God of your future. Cry out to him. Trust in him. See, last week, one of the greatest privileges of my life while Pastor Don was preaching in this 9 o'clock service is Rach and I, we got to go up uh, to Breakfast Club. And as Pastor Dana said, if you're here today and you're a 6th, 7th, and 8th grader and you haven't experienced Breakfast Club, man, go find out more information at, at the Riverside Resource Wall before you leave today and we'd love to see you up there. Pastor Josh and Pastor Natalie are doing incredible work. But our daughter, um, our 15-year-old daughter, she spoke up there last week. They asked her to, to like preach and we're like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. And I got up there and y'all, she was brilliant. Like, I know she's my daughter, and I got to say she's brilliant, but she was brilliant. And she said something. Yeah, she ain't even in here, so. Um, but she said something, and I've never been more proud of her. Listen to what she said. She was preaching. She got like two-thirds of the way through it, and she said, are you life-filled or are you lethargic? And I was like, that is my daughter, yo! She just doesn't have Michaelisms. She's got Ellaisms. She's like rhyming. And I tell you that today because I love that. Because so many of us right now, I'm stealing that, Ella. So many of us, we're sluggish right now. We're lethargic. We're depressed. We're over it. We just don't want to get out of bed because we can't deal with it anymore. But I'm reminded what Jesus said in John chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart, and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. So you need to know that Jesus was laying the groundwork for what was about to take place. This was his last teaching before he was about to be betrayed, arrested, and died on the cross. He was telling them, here's what's coming. And when someone leaves this world, you know that there's usually a will in place, which upon their death, there's, there's money or a home or assets or something like that. And Jesus is saying, I don't have any of that. He's like, I'm not leaving you with a monetary gift, but I'm giving you something even better. I'm leaving you with a spiritual inheritance. I love that. See, and Jesus went on to say, I'm leaving you. Get this, write this down, because I think this is so important. Jesus was leaving them with his peace, his power, and his presence. He was leaving those three things. Just a few verses earlier when you read it, Jesus promised that his father would send the advocate. He would send the Holy Spirit. And so when he says, I'm leaving you with my peace, he's saying, guess what? I will comfort you, no matter what you're going through right now. Can I tell you today, these gifts that he's leaving weren't something over 2,000 years ago. They are the same gifts that he's giving to each one of you today. 
He's leaving you with his peace. He's saying, I will comfort you. He's leaving them with his power. He's saying, whatever you're going through right now, I will strengthen you. He's saying right now, I will give you my presence. Jesus was saying, no longer am I just stuck to being in one place. The Holy Spirit will be with you wherever you go. I will be with you. See, it's totally different. The peace that the Lord was giving than what the world had to offer. What are you saying, Michael? See, because I've learned that the world's peace offers an escape. But the Lord's peace offers an encounter. I want somebody to get that deep in you today. The world's peace offers an escape, but the Lord's peace offers an encounter. See, when you have an encounter with Jesus, y'all, it changes you. It changes everything. It's not a short-term fix, but it's a long-term solution. When you experience the gift that Jesus is giving you, his peace, his power, his presence. See, when you start handing over comparison, when you start handing over fear, you realize finally that trust is transforming. True trust is transforming. You pick up in verse 15 through 18 in chapter 14. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the water so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians. And they will charge in after the Israelites. My great glory will be displayed through Pharaoh and his troops, his chariots and his charioteers. When my glory is displayed through them, all Egypt will see my glory. And they will know that I am the Lord. See, you continue to read on in that story. Moses, he raises his hands, and we see the waters of the Red Sea, they part. It makes dry ground. The Israelites start to walk. The Egyptian army is chasing after them. But it says God allows confusion to happen to the Egyptian army. The tires of the chariots get bent. They're no longer able to move. And it says that Moses raises his hand a second time. And it says that the waters of the sea, the walls of the sea come crashing down. And not a single one of the Egyptian army survived. The Lord rescued them. He met them in their time of need. See, there's this incredible short little verse that when you read through the Bible, you may have overlooked it. But can I tell you, I believe that this verse for somebody today is going to change the trajectory of your life. Psalm chapter 18, verse 19. It says, he rescued me because he delights in me. He rescued me because he delights in me. He rescued you because he delights in you, yo. See, some of you that only pull this thing out when you come on a Sunday and it's dusty by Tuesday, you need to start pulling it out and get your life in here. Start focusing on the truth of God's word. Why? I want you to get this today. 
God delights, God desires, and God destines you. I want to say that again. God delights, God desires, and God destines you. See, he delights in you. When I'm up at Breakfast Club last week and there's a smile upon my face because I'm so delighted into seeing what the Lord is doing in my 15-year-old daughter is just but a snapshot of what God sees when he looks at you. He delights in you. He loves you. He desires you. He desires a relationship with you. He's saying, I don't want a relationship with you just on a Sunday morning, just in a space full of a few hundred people. He says, I want a relationship with you every single day of your life. And can I tell you, he's saying to you, I destined you. I have a destiny for your life. I have a future that's marked out for you. You can try to do it on your own, but it ain't ever going to work out as good as when you give your life, your future over to me. See, can I ask some of you today, are you focusing on the truth of God's word? Are you focusing on the trials of life? Are you focusing on the truth of God's word? Are you focusing on what you're going through right now? See, there's some of you watching today, some of you in this space right now, you need to start declaring, I'm trusting through the trials. You need to write that in your notes. You need to put that in the chat right now. I'm trusting through the trials. No matter what comes against me, no matter what's in front of me, I'm trusting through the trials. Romans 5, 3 through 4, it says we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. There's so many of us in the season right now, we're praying for hope. We're wishing for hope. I wish I could have hope. There's so many of us right now, we're trying to refine our character. We're trying to work on what happened in the past, and I'm trying, God, refine me from the inside out. We need the endurance to keep going. But you see, when I look at this, Paul is saying that none of those things are possible without hardships. You gotta go through the hardships to get to the hope. Quite simply, can I say it like this? Hardships are the birthplace of hope. Hardships are the birthplace of hope. If you're going through hardships right now, can I tell you, hope is just on the other side. God is doing something in and through you. The next chapter, it picks up. Exodus chapter 15, it picks up on the other side. They made it through. They've gone through dry land. The Egyptian army, not a single one of them survived. And Exodus 15, 2 says, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. Hallelujah today. See, when I look at this, they were rescued. And immediately they began singing a song of deliverance. They began to worship. But see, when you read that, it's not because everything was great. No, not everything was great. God changed their circumstances, but you see, they were still in the wilderness. They were still in the wilderness. See, God didn't change the setting, 
but he did change their circumstances. See, I'm speaking to somebody today. You're in the wilderness of life. You're in the wilderness of life right now. What would happen if you became like the Israelites and you started to exchange your panic for praise? What would happen if I no longer look around what's around me, but I start to exchange my panic for his praise? See, today, as we wrap up, I'm gonna do something that's a little different. See, because as I was reading, as I was preparing, as I was reading through what happened next for the Israelites, the Lord started to speak to me. The Lord started to remind me, I'm still in control. I am still your God. I know that you think that you're in a place where you're sunk. There's no way out. You're surrounded. And God is saying, I'm going to bring you through just like I brought through the Israelites. And see, when I read through Exodus chapter 15 and I listen to the Israelites worship, see, I want to read this over your life today. And once you hear something, you're like, that's my God. What I want you to do is I want you to stand to your feet. I want you to put your hands together. I want you to worship him because God is a good God. Listen to me. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Your right hand, O oh God, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O oh Lord, smashes the enemy. Who is like you among the gods, O oh Lord? You are glorious in holiness. You are awesome in splendor. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. The Lord will reign forever and ever. I want you to get it. Now, don't just walk through the wilderness. We're going to worship through the wilderness because God is with you. God is with you. Let's worship.
beyond anything you could even imagine. That's how much he loves you. See, today, never forget what God says about you. You're his masterpiece. You're his child. And today, I pray that you give him the pen and he starts writing the future beyond any you could ever even imagine. See, this isn't the end. It's just the beginning. See, can I tell you today, God may not immediately pluck you out of the valley, but he will give you victory in the valley. He will give you victory in the valley. See, I know too many Christians today that when the hard times of life come, they start to forget what God did for them in the past. They're not a warrior in the wilderness. No, y'all, they become wimpy in the wilderness. Can I tell you, don't forget your miracle moment. What did God do for you in the past? He gave you an escape plan. He parted the waters. He provided for you when you needed it the most. And if he did it in the past, can I tell y'all, he's going to do it again, over and over and over again. See, today I want to tell you, keep walking through the valley. It's not your destination. Don't camp out there. Keep walking through the valley. It's just a delay to your destiny. So I'm gonna get walking. I'm gonna keep walking. See, I'm no longer, can I tell you, what God told me last Sunday as I was sitting down here, I'm no longer focusing on my problems, but I'm gonna focus on God's promise the promises of God over my life. And some of y'all need to remember what Moses said. He said, the Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. See, that's a word for somebody today. Just stay calm. And I believe, guys, your life, God is getting ready to break through in a powerful way if you would just trust him. I'm up here today sweating, looking like an Easter egg, yo. But I believe that my God, who did it in the past, is going to meet us in the present, and he's going to take us into the future if we would just step into him. So, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that you are a God that only isn't the God of the past, but you are a definite God of the present, and you're taking us into the future. And so, Lord, as I raise my hands, God, I give it all to you. Whatever you want to do in my life, whatever you want to do in my finances, whatever you want to do in my family, whatever you want to do in this church, Lord, I'm available. No matter the cost, no matter what people are going to say, Lord, I give it all to you. And just like you led the Israelites through hardships, Lord, I believe that you are with us every single step of the way. So, Lord, we trust you. We thank you for who you are. And, Lord, we step into the future that you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can I tell you, before you leave today, will you get some invites and just start inviting people? We're two weeks away from Easter. We would love to see you with a whole row full of friends. But we believe God is doing something really special. Get back here in the house next week for Palm Sunday, Riverside. I love you. I love you. I love you. Have the best week.